This is Meditations for Misfits, and I'm Fred Gruy. Welcome. This podcast offers a reflection on the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness as recorded in the first chapter of the Gospel of St. Mark. In this reflection, we consider instead of contemplating who I am, a better question might be, who do I want to become? As I said during the children's moment, uh, we've entered the season of Lent. It's a time traditionally considered as an invitation to become self-reflective, introspective, to look at who we are and why we are. And this comes from uh, the story of Jesus. Jesus says it's recorded in Mark chapter 1, was baptized by John the baptizer. As he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, came upon Jesus, hovered over him hummed over him, vibrated over him. And Jesus somehow heard that the the divine one we call God say, you are my beloved child, and you I am well pleased. And then mysteriously, this spirit of God takes Jesus and flings him into the wilderness. That's the word in the Greek of the New Testament that, that Will read to us. It's a word, ekbalo. The spirit ekbaloed Jesus into the wilderness. It's the same word that's used throughout the Christian scriptures when Jesus cast a demon out of somebody. He ekbaloed them. He ekbaloed the demon out of... And so here we have the spirit of God ekbaloing Jesus into the wilderness, flinging him, casting him into the wilderness. What the heck is that about? Well, in my own studies and reading of late, I've I've been camped out in Genesis chapter 1, verses 2, where it says that the Spirit of God vibrated or hummed or uh, hovered over the chaos and created all that is. And it was the interaction of God's spirit over this chaos that afforded a new becoming, a new beginning, the beginning of the universe, as the story of Genesis tells us. And it's my suggestion that as the spirit of God vibrates and hums over Jesus in the wilderness, that it's a new beginning that emerges That the Jesus that emerges from the wilderness is not the Jesus that entered into the wilderness. It's a new way of becoming. And that the invitation of Lent is to, to face those things inside ourselves, trusting that the Spirit of God will hover and be with us to create a new beginning for us that we'll celebrate on Easter, where we will become new. That's the hope. And so, uh, one of the things that's helped in my understanding of the things I've just said to you is that the Hebrew concept of the wilderness for the original hearers of this story would have likened it to the chaos of Genesis 1. In Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 2, the, the, the chaos is referred to as, in the Hebrew, tohu It means the formless, void, 
of which God created everything. And for the Hebrews of the day, they didn't think of a formless void, nothingness, the way the Buddhists did, or outer space where we have this all this void. For them, that formless void would have been likened to the wilderness where crazy and wild things, scary things happen. But out of that, something new can begin. And so Jesus is flung by the Spirit into the wilderness to be confronted with who he is. I don't know if you've ever spent 40 days and 40 nights all alone with no iPad, no telephone, no computer, not a single luxury. You're confronted very quickly with who you are and why you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All the boogity boogities show up. Oh, why do I do that? Why do I behave this way? Why am I so afraid of that? Why does this freak me out? You can't hide when you're all alone with no distractions in the chaos of the wilderness. All those voices that are in our heads whispering this, that, and the other, they get amplified when there's no distractions. And so we're confronted with who we are and why we are. And it's the story is recorded for us. It's not part of the text that Will read, but I'm sure it's the stories, of the three temptations that Jesus had when he was in the wilderness. And I'm going to suggest when we go into this wilderness, we're going to be confronted by our selfish, egoic natures. Now that's all language we've learned from Freud and Jung and Adler that, that have influenced our thinking. But that, that those parts of me that grasp and seek and are afraid and trying to position the masks that we put on that I referenced earlier. All of that is what we're confronted with. Well, it's, it's told for us in the stories of the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. The first temptation was, you know, the, the evil one comes and says, if you are God's beloved, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Well, now the crazy thing is, Jesus has just been baptized and heard God say to him, you are my beloved child, who I'm well pleased. Well, immediately, the tempter comes and says, did God really say you're the beloved one? Well, if you are, be, be relevant. Turn these stones into bread. You know, with a wave of your hand, you could make plenty of food so there wouldn't be any more poverty. Turn these stones into bread. Everybody will eat and will eradicate poverty in one day. Be relevant. And Jesus does not listen to that temptation. And then the second temptation comes. The, the tempter takes Jesus up to the top of the temple, the holiest place there is on planet Earth, and says, throw yourself down, and God will protect you. Be spectacular. Show everybody how special you are. Jump off the temple, and the angels will catch you. Henry Nouwen, in commenting on this, the wonderful writer Henry Nouwen says, high holy places can be very slippery. <laughs> Throw yourself down. And Jesus doesn't choose to be spectacular for everybody to see how special he is. And then the third temptation comes. The evil one says, look, just bow down before me. I'll give you all the power in the world. You can knock everybody upside of the head, get everybody to fly right, and we'll straighten everything out. 
And Henry now and again says, you know, the great temptation of power is that it's so much easier to control people than to love people. And it's a temptation to power. So Jesus does not yield to these three voices trying to seduce him in the wilderness to be relevant, to be spectacular, and to be powerful. Whatever was in his nature to be drawn to that, he resists. And he emerges from the wilderness and begins his ministry as a servant to go about doing what he believed God wanted him to do. So here's my suggestion for us this Lenten season. It's an invitation, Lent is, to be introspective and to be reflective about who you are and why you are. And I'll be honest with you, that can be really scary. You go poking around in there, looking what's in there. Why do you do what you do? But I, I read something last week that was really helpful. Uh, Pema Chodron, the Buddhist teacher, in one of her reflections, says, invite everybody in. And what she means by that is invite all those annoying, scary parts in. Don't be afraid of them. Don't freak out about them. Invite them in. See what they have to teach you. And so I read that in one of her reflections. And so I stopped what I was doing. I put the book down. I thought, all right, I'm going to invite in all the people that over the course of my life have driven me back crazy. All the people that have gotten under my skin and just, uh, I wanted to throttle. And I, so I started to list their names. And then I noticed that nearly all of them were people that tried to tell me what to do. And I had this awakening at 71. I'm sitting at 71 years old. Wow, I don't like to be told what to do. I really react negatively when someone tries to tell me what to do. Who do they think they are telling me what to do? They think they know better than I do. And I realized how arrogant and silly. And there's this little boy in me still that hates to be told what to do. And all of those folks that really annoyed me were all people that had supervisory roles in my life and wanted me to do something a certain way, and I thought it was stupid, and they made me do it, and it just made me so mad. And I, oh my God, that's a growing edge for me. Why do I do that? And so without condemning myself, I started to look at what is in me. Oh boy, that's something I need to work on. That's, I think, the invitation Lent offers to us. Here's another way to put it. The Catholic priest Richard Rohr says, don't give up your sin until you learn what it has to teach you. Now, can you imagine going to a confessional as a Catholic? Father, forgive me, I've seemed it's been so long since my last confession, and the priest says, well, now, don't give that up until you learn what it's teaching you. <laughs> no Hail Marys, no Our Fathers, why, why? But I think that's the invitation, to not beat ourselves up. Why am I this way? I'm not a mutant. I'm not flawed. But boy, this is there, and I want to look at that. And what does it have to teach me to use this season to look at those things so that trusting that the same Spirit of God that 
hummed and hovered over the universe will be hovering over me and that it might afford me a new way of becoming. Now in my life as a Christian, here's how I sort of put this in context, what Pema Chodron is teaching. She also, uh, aside from the fact of inviting everybody in, she goes on in the same book to talk about karma, and she says how most of us in the West misunderstand karma. We think karma is if I do something bad, now something bad's going to happen to me, like we're sowing seeds of badness, and we're going to get a crop of badness in our life. And she's, that's not karma. Karma is you're going to keep running into those same people that annoy you until you figure out a better way to respond. So when I'm reading that, I read, Fred, you're going to keep running into people that want to tell you what to do until you figure out a better way to respond to that. And so as I translate that as a Christian, and I say, okay, okay, it's an open book test. I run into the same thing over and over till I figure out about, well, let me look through the book. Let's find an answer. And if I'm not smart enough to find the answer in the book, I can always ask the teacher, God, what am I supposed to do? How do I react differently? But the point is to react differently, to grow, to become a better friend. And for you to become a better you, that's the goal not to beat ourselves up and, oh, you're dumb and da 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 I've listened to all those crazy voices. But just say, okay, kids, everybody settle down. How can we become what God dreams us to become? That's the invitation, to become new. And to think about what are the obstacles in my becoming different? And are those obstacles real? But the goal is not to figure out who I am and why I am and why I do the crazy things I do. That's helpful. But the better question is, who do I want to become? Because the becoming is what's important. Now what I'm suggesting to us is a personal invitation, one-on-one. -on -one. But I want to also suggest to us that this applies to us as a, as a community, as a church. Who do we want to become? In this season of Lent, I'm suggesting, how might we consider who we are as a church, as a faith people? Who have we been? How have we responded in our past to certain things? How do we want to respond? Who do we want to become? And to begin to explore how we might live into that which will be certainly helpful for our search committee to explore who we want to become as a people so that we can call an appropriate pastor to come help and lead us into who we dream to be, who we want to become. That's what I see as the invitation for us in this Lenten season.